0: Chapter 8, Part 1 of the Making of a Nation. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ian Hatley. Study 8, The Training of a Statesman. Moses in Egypt in the Wilderness. Exodus, Chapter 1, Verse 1. Exodus chapter seven verse five. of readings. Good now, F.J.'s Comparative Administrative Law, History, Bible, part one, pages one fifty one through one sixty nine. And he went out on the following day and saw two men of the Hebrews striving together. And he said to the one who was doing the wrong, Why do you smite your fellow workmen? But he replied, Who made you a prince and judge over us? Do you intend to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and said, Surely the thing is known. When therefore Pharaoh heard this thing, he sought to him Moses. But Moses fled from the presence of Pharaoh and took up his abode in the land of Midian. And Jehovah said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people that are in Egypt. And I have heard the cry of anguish because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. And I am come down to deliver them out of the power of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of that land to a land beautiful and broad, to a land flowing with milk and honey. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, Jehovah, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, have appeared to me, saying, I have surely visited you and seen that which is done to you in egypt and i have said i will bring you up the affliction of egypt to a land flowing with milk and honey and they shall hearken to thy voice and thou shalt come together with the elders of israel to the king of egypt and ye shall say to him jehovah the god of the hebrews hath appeared to us and now let us go we pray thee three days journey into the wilderness That we may sacrifice to Jehovah our God. History, Bible. Hold on, hold fast, hold out. Patience is genius. Let us have faith that right makes might, and in that faith, let us dare to do our duty as we understand it. Lincoln, Part 1 The Egyptian Background of the Bondage. The one contemporary reference to Israel thus far, found in the Egyptian inscriptions, comes from the reign of Menathpath, the son of Ramses II. It implies that at the time, at least, part of the Hebrews were in the land of Palestine. Plundered is Canaan with every evil. Ascalon is carried into captivity. Gezer is taken. Yulman is annihilated. Israel is desolated, her seed is not. Palestine has become a widow for Egypt. All lands are united, they are pacified. Everyone whose turbulent has been found by Gemernath path. The testimony of the oldest biblical narratives regarding the sojourn of the Hebrews in Egypt is also in perfect accord with the picture which the contemporary Egyptian inscriptions give of the period. Furthermore, the Egyptian historians never distinguished the different races in their midst, but rather designated the foreign serf class by a common name. The absence of the detailed reference to the Hebrews is therefore perfectly natural. It seems probable that not all, but only part of the tribes which ultimately call us into the Hebrew nation, found their way to Egypt. The stories regarding Joseph their traditional father Ephraim and Manasseh imply that these strong central tribes, possibly together with the southern tribes of Benjamin and Judah, were the chief actors in this opening scene in Israel's history. The biblical narratives apparently disagree regarding the duration of the sojourn in Egypt. The reference in Genesis chapter 15, verse 16 which some writers think, comes from the northern Israelite group histories, stories, implies that it was a period of between 100 and 150 years. The same duration is suggested by the pre writer in Numbers chapter 26 verses 57 through 59. The later traditions tend to extend the period. It seems probable. The Hebrews first found their way to Egypt during the reign of Amenhotep IV, who reigned between 1375 and 1358 BC. The older Hebrew chronology would make Ramses II, who reigned between 1292 and 1225, the Pharaoh of the oppression. Of all the Pharaohs of this period in Egypt's history, the great builder and organizer ramsay II corresponds most closely to the biblical description he it was who filled egypt from one end to the other with vast temples and other buildings which could have been reared only through the services of a huge army of serfs the excavations of the egypt and fund have identified the biblical pithom with certain ruins the Wadi-tumlet near the eastern terminus of the modern railroad from Cairo to the Suez Canal. This property lay in the eastern boundary of the biblical land of Goshen, which seems to have included the Wadi-tumlet and to have extended westward to the Nile Delta. Here were found several inscriptions bearing the Egyptian name of the city Patum, house of the god Atom. The excavations also laid bare a great square brick wall, with the ruins of store chambers inside. These rectangular chambers were of various sizes and surrounded by walls two or three yards in thickness. Contemporary inscriptions indicate that they were filled with grain from the top, and were probably used for the storing of supplies to be used by the armies of Ramses II. In their ecstatic campaigns, this city was founded by Ramses II, who, during the first twenty years of his reign, developed and colonized the territory east of the Nile Delta, including the biblical land of Goshen. A contemporary inscription also states that he founded near Pithom the house of Ramses, a city with the royal residence and temples thus the inferences in the first chapter of exodus regarding the historical background are in perfect accord with the f- facts now known from other sources regarding the reign of Ramses the second in transforming the land of goshen into a cultivated agricultural region the nomadic hebrews were naturally put to task work by the strong-handed rule of egypt that the Hebrews were restive under this tyranny was naturally inevitable. Apparently, their rebellious attitude also increased the burden which was placed upon them. The memory of the crescent high invasion, which meant the rule of Egypt by nomadic invaders from Asia, was still in the minds of the Egyptians. They both looked down and feared the nomad immigrants. On their eastern border. In the light of these facts, it is possible to understand the motives which influenced Rameses the Second's to oppress the Hebrews. He endeavored by forced labor and rigorous penance not only to avail himself of their needed services, but also to crush their spirit, and by force to hold in subjection the alarmingly large serf class which was found at this time in the land of egypt was any other procedure to be expected from it, the despotic roar of that land and day part two the making of a loyal patriot the story of moses's birth in early childhood is one of the most interesting chapters in biblical history it is full of human and dramatic interest. The great crisis in Moses' early manhood came when he woke to a realization of his kinship with the despised and oppressed serfs, and an appreciation of the cruel injustice of which they were the helpless victims. Was Moses justified in resisting the Egyptian taskmaster on numbers essential to the righteousness of a cause? Had Ramses II to demand forced labor from the immigrants within his border, was he justified in his method of exacting tribute? His opinions always disastrous not only to its victims, but also to the government imposing it? Did Moses show himself a coward in fleeing from the land of Egypt? Naturally, he went to the land of Midian. The wilderness to the east of Egypt had for centuries been the place of refuge for Egyptian fugitives. From about 2000 BC there comes the Egyptian story of Sinuit, an Egyptian prince who to save his life fled eastward past the wall of the princesses which guarded the northeastern frontier of Egypt. On the borders of the wilderness he found certain Bedouin herdsmen who received him hospitably. These sand-wanderers sent him on from tribe to tribe until he reached the land of Kidam, east of the Dead Sea, where he remained for a year and a half. Later he found his way to the court of one of the local kings in central Palestine, where he married and became, in the time, a prosperous local prince. Part 3 The School of the Wilderness The story of Moses is in many ways closely parallel to that of Among the Midianite tribes that live to the south and southeast of Palestine, he found refuge and generous hospitality. The priests of the sub-tribe of the Canites received him into his home and gave him his daughter in marriage. Note the characteristic, oriental idea of marriage. Here Moses learned the lessons that were essential for his training as a leader and deliverer of his people. The Kenites figure in the latter Hebrew history as worshippers of Jehovah and are frequently associated with the Israelites. After the capture of Jericho, certain of them went up with the southern tribes to conquer southern palestine judges chapter one verse sixteen it was jael the wife of heber the Kenite. judges chapter five verse twenty four who rendered the hebrews signal service by slaying sisera the fleeing king of the Canaanites, after the memorable battle beside the river kishon many modern scholars draw the conclusion from the biblical narrative that it was from the Kenites that moses first learned of yahweh or as the distinctive name of israel's god was translated by later jewish scribes jehovah furthermore it is suggested that gratitude to the new god who delivered the israelites from their bodies was the reason why they proved On the whole so loyal to jehovah this conclusion is possible and in many ways attractive but is beset with serious difficulties we know in ancient history of no other example of a people suddenly changing their religion when there have been such sudden and wholesale conversions in latter times they have been either under the compulsion of the sword as in the history of islam or under influence of a far higher religion as when christianity has been carried into the heathen people on a lowest stage of civilization do the earliest hebrew traditions imply that the ancestors of the israelites were worshippers of jehovah it is not probable that moses fled to the nomadic minneanites not only because they were a kinsmen but because they were also worshippers of Jehovah. In any case, Moses's life in Midian tended to intensify his faith in Jehovah. The title of his father-in-law implies that this priest ministered at some wilderness sanctuary. In the light of the subsequent biblical narrative, was this possibly at the sacred spring of Kadesh, or on top of the holy mountain Horab elsewhere called Sinai, where Canaanites and Hebrews believed that Jehovah dwelt or at least manifested himself. Moses in the home of the Midian priests was brought into direct and constant contact with the Jehovah worship. The cruel fate of his people and the painful experience in Egypt that had driven him into the wilderness prepared his mind to receive this training his quest was for a just and strong god able to deliver the oppressed the wilderness with its lurking foes and the ever-present dread of hunger and thirst deepened his sense of need and of dependence upon a power able to guide the death's needs of men the peasants of the vast antonian plain of central asia minor still call every life given spring god hath given the constant necessity of meeting the dangers of the wilderness, and of defending the flocks entrusted to Moses' care, developed his courage and power of leadership in action. What other great leaders of Israel were trained in this same school? What was the effect of the wilderness knife upon the early New England pioneers? End of chapter 8 Part 1 Recording by Ian Hatley, Norman, Oklahoma